parables. Parables. For those of you who haven't grown up in the church and you're not very familiar with what a parable is, a parable is kind of like a fable. Like Aesop's fables, they're short, simple stories that teach a spiritual or moral lesson. And that's in many ways what a parable is. And the Bible is filled with a lot of them. There are a number of them in the Old Testament, a number of them in the New Testament, and Jesus shares a lot of them. And specifically, when Jesus is sharing these parables, what he is doing is he is using familiar concepts to help his listeners, to help his followers understand an unfamiliar idea. That's what parables do, is they take familiar concepts, familiar figures, familiar stories to bring about, to teach or instruct something that doesn't feel as familiar, doesn't feel as comfortable or easily to un- as easily understood. And that's what parables are designed to do. And Jesus used parables a lot. He used them to engage a crowd, telling them stories that would kind of draw them in. And he would use them to, as spiritual illustrations of spiritual truths, uh, revealing spiritual truths in ways that were readily, that were bite-sized and attainable. Jesus had such a habit of using parables in the Gospels, right, as he's spending time with his disciples, that his disciples and followers once got Jesus together and said, hey, buddy, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, can you tell us a bit more about why you were using these parables to instruct us? And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 10. It says, his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? He, being Jesus, replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So here's the real interesting truth that Jesus shares about why he uses parables to teach. It's because parables divide the crowd. Parables are designed to separate those who earnestly and honestly want to learn from those who are simply there to be entertained. There were those who followed Jesus because he fed them, right? Because he performed miracles and they wanted to see these things, but they didn't necessarily have a desire to know who Jesus was and what he was teaching. And parables divided the crowd into those two different groups, those who earnestly wanted to follow and learn from those who had other motivations or just to be simply entertained. So let's have a bit of fun. What kind of bear is best? Bears eat beets. Bears beat Battlestar Galactica. All right? So I just shared those words. They are in English, so everybody understands them. But I've just divided this crowd in two. Does that make sense? I divided this group between the group who are followers of The Office, a sitcom that most of you grew up with, 
And others of you who have no idea what is going on right now, you're reading these words and like, uh, they sound familiar. I understand what they mean, but I have no idea what is happening here. Does that make sense? Because you're not a follower of the office. What we just did there is, in a sense, what Jesus was designing his parables to do. He was dividing the crowd into two groups, one who were followers of him and who would take the time to learn and understand what that means, and therefore they would get it. From others who are on the outside listening and who might understand the words and feel like, this story kind of feels cool, but I just don't get it. And Jesus is saying, yeah. Because to be my disciple requires more than just simply following along. It means that you, you give your life to me, right? You devote yourself to me. And that's what parables do. So now that we understand what parables are, we're going to spend four weeks going through them. I'm going to start this week, and then Andrew is actually taking the next three. And over the course of the next month, we're going to be walking through four key parables that reveal the heart of Jesus, and even in many ways more specifically, revealing the kingdom of God. And so Jesus closes out this idea of what parables do by sharing these words. He says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes. This is for those of you who want to follow, who want to understand, who want to learn. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. The crazy truth is that we live in a country today where, according to Barna, 73% of Americans today claim to be Christians. But when you follow that up with a question that says, how many of you consider faith to be one of the most important things in your life? And how many of you attend church regularly, meaning at least once a month? that figure drops from 73% down to 31%. It's crazy, isn't it? And I don't want you to misunderstand me. We're not saying that if you don't attend church once a month, then you're not a Christian. That's not what we're saying at all. We're not even saying that if you don't have faith be a central part of your life, that you're not a Christian. That's not what we're saying either. We believe that the reason why you're a Christian is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, right? That being said, if you are not loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you aren't part of a community where you're learning what it is to love one another as Christ has loved you, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're not a follower of him. And there is a distinction between the two. So this week we're going to begin with the parable of the wheat and tares. So I love this parable. Uh, I told this parable... Um, to our, our church 11 years ago when we started Awaken, because in many ways, what God shared with me, and I'll share that story in a little bit, is that this parable represents in so many different ways what we wanted our church, Awaken Church, to be like. Uh, and so as a result, uh, ended up teaching it to our church on the second week we ever met as Awaken Church. I share it at every partnership class that I have the privilege and honor to lead. And I tell you all this story. So it should be fairly familiar. We're going to take a deeper dive into this captivating and provocative story today. So Matthew chapter 13, it's in the same chapter, starting in verse 24. We're going to dive into the parable of the wheat and tares. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, 
as the workers slept. His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. So we'll take a pause right here. Here's how Jesus starts. And he's also going to, if you read the parables and the gospels, you're going to find he does this quite often. Here is what the kingdom of God is like. Oftentimes, when Jesus is sharing a parable, he's teaching us what the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven. They're interchangeable. They're the same idea, right? This is what the kingdom of God is like. And this parable is a great example of that. But before we dive in, I think it's important for us to understand when Jesus is saying this, what does kingdom of God mean? Why is Jesus spending so much time illustrating that in these parables to us? And the simplest way to define it is the kingdom of God is the vision of a world that is completely under the rule of God. That's what it is, right? A world where God is king. It is here partially in the world today, someday fully. God will return, exert his authority, take his throne, and then, as Tim shared earlier, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the kingdom of God is. So uh, some of you might know, especially if you've been a part of this church for a while, you know that uh, my dad served in the United States Navy. He served for a bit over 20 years. So that means I'm a military brat. And we joined, and he joined, and we just kind of tagged along, in 1979. I know those dark ages back then. So in 1979, and our first station was in Okinawa, Japan. So I was born in Chicago, so we ended up leaving Chicago and moving over to Okinawa, Japan, where we lived uh, at Kadena Air Base. And during that time, from 1979 to 1981, we lived on the base. My brother and I went to school on base. We learned Japanese. We tried to adjust to the culture and what it was like to be in a different country, in a foreign country. But here's one thing that didn't change. Even though our family was no longer in America, we were in, the, in Okinawa, Japan, right, in another country, one thing that didn't change is that I was still an American, right? I was still a citizen of the United States, which meant that my president at the time was Jimmy Carter and not Masayoshi Ohira, Okay? The kingdom of God, in the same way, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because even though I was living in a foreign country, I was still an American. We can all understand that concept. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with boundaries or borders or land necessarily. It has to do who with who the king is. And so the king of the kingdom of God is God, is Jesus Christ. And those who are its citizens are Christians, right? And therefore... For those of us who are Christians, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. The moment we made that declaration and put our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, we became citizens of the kingdom. And as such, Jesus is our king, and his laws are the laws that we are commanded to follow. That doesn't mean where we live is irrelevant. When I lived in Okinawa, Japan, when we went outside the base, we were still required to abide by Japanese laws. But it did mean that even though I'm in Japan, even though I'm abiding by Japanese laws, my ultimate authority is still the president of the United States, not the premier of Japan. We understand that concept, correct? In the same way, because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, 
even though we might live in Jacksonville, Florida, in the United States, and we're expected to abide by and honor the laws herein, whenever those laws contradict with what God's laws are, we follow our king. Does that make sense? He is our king. He is our master. We are citizens of the kingdom first. And so when Jesus shares this, so that if you have that grasp of what the kingdom of God is like, and we are a part of it, we manifest that kingdom of the world. Just like when I was in Okinawa, Japan, I represented America in some small way because I was an American. They looked at me and talked with me and thought that all other kids looked just like me or acted just like me. Maybe not looked, because, you know, I had to, but, you know, that's how, and so in the same way, because we're citizens of the kingdom, we bear that responsibility, which is why God calls us ambassadors of the kingdom. So when the Bible gives us commands, whenever we read the scripture and God gives us commands, those are the laws in a sense. Those are the commands that we obey. We are citizens. And so coming back to this idea of the parable of the wheat and tares, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he's saying, this is a picture of now how you are to live. You got my commands. Now I want to show you what it's like to live as a citizen. So we're going to continue and read the rest of the parable, and then we'll take some time to unpack it. The farmer's workers went to him and said, so remember, an enemy comes in, has sowed weeds called tares among the, uh, the wheat, right? The farmer's worker went to him and said, sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus lived in a time when agriculture was a central part of society. Farmers not only had to raise crops and have healthy, productive crops to feed their own families, but to also feed others. That was what made society work in Jesus' day. So the idea that as a farmer planting good seed to raise good crops would have an enemy sneak in in the middle of the night to sow tares or weeds amongst the wheat was evil and destructive. It would be seen as an act of sabotaging an entire family's life and livelihood. The weed that was planted was most likely one called a darnel. It's a weed that until it matures looks a lot like wheat. I put a picture up there so you can see it. So you can see how they look a lot alike. So when it's planted, maybe here close up, you can see a distinction. But imagine a field where all of this is grown. To try and pull them up would be really challenging. To identify them would be a bit of a challenge for the workers, right? So what this sneaky, evil thing that the enemy has done is sowing these wheat-like uh, weeds in the midst of it. So I'm just going to call it a tear because sometimes it's, I'm finding right now it's difficult to separate wheat and weed. Can you all understand weed, wheat? Okay, wheat, tear, right? The tear is that weed. So the solution of, of the workers is, well, we'll just go pull them out because we know they're bad. And the farmer says, no, because in doing so, you might inadvertently pull up some good stuff as well. And I don't want to do my good stuff harmed. Verse 36, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story 
of the weeds in the field. So as I shared before, throughout the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read them faithfully, then what you'll find is Jesus tells a lot of these stories, but he doesn't always take the time to fully interpret them. And fortunately, he does for this one, which makes my teaching this morning very straightforward, right? I'm not going to deviate. I don't have to interpret much. I just have to tell you what Jesus said. Um, I'm going to add a bit of color maybe, but we're going to be pretty straightforward. So here is how Jesus interprets this parable. Verse 37, Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer planting the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. That's us. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. That's hopefully not you. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. So here's how Jesus starts, like reading the billboard of a play, right? So Frank plays Romeo. No, that was a, just something, right? The billboard of a play. And so Jesus identifies the main characters. So Jesus is the farmer who plants the good seed, which is God's people. The enemy is the one planting tares weeds among the wheat. Here's the first thing that I think Jesus is sharing and illustrating in this, right? It is not always easy to tell the difference between wheat and tear. In the same way, looking from the outside in, which is all we have the ability to do, in 1 Samuel it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. All we see is what's on the outside, and when we look on the outside, it isn't always easy for us to be able to definitively figure out who is Christian and who is not, because all we see is the outside of the person. And that's the first point that Jesus is making, that from the outside looking in, it can be difficult to discern who is part of the kingdom and who is a life-sucking weed. But someday, that's all going to change. Someday, God is going to return, and when he does, he will bring his angels with him, and these harvesters will be able to easily distinguish the difference between the two. And at that time, God will sift through what we are not able to distinguish fully today. And God promises that in that time, his people, the good seed, the wheat, will be spared, and those who are tares will not. Continues. Verse 36, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. The angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. For most of us reading this parable, it's hard to get away from the idea that God is teaching, Jesus is teaching in this parable, judgment. And it is. Jesus is teaching about judgment. The idea is if you don't know Jesus and you belong to the evil one, then you should absolutely be terrified at what is going to happen to you someday. Not only will you be left to face God's judgment and wrath, but you will do so without even the smallest bit of relief 
that your Christian friends might have been able to offer you. There's nothing left in that day except weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it will suck for that to be your eternal destiny. My words, not Jesus's, right? But the idea is there. But I don't want you to forget how the parable began, right? So it is a parable. A lot of it is about judgment and what will happen in the end day. But how did it begin? It says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And I don't want you to miss the rest of this picture because the kingdom of God isn't just about judgment. But that judgment should give us hope that the sacrifices we make, the consequences of sin that we have to endure, the wicked people in our lives that are seeking to hurt and destroy and betray us, they will all be dealt with righteously someday. And that the sacrifices we make to live as citizens of the kingdom will not be in vain. Jesus wants to make sure that we don't miss that hope. You know what the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God always begins with the story of the king. Jesus is the king. And it always begins with the story here, and this story begins with the story of the king being good, distributing good seed into the world. That has to be the foundation of our understanding, that as citizens of the kingdom, we serve a king who is good. That belief, that firm conviction is the foundation of our faith. And the king plants good seed. That's us. We're the people of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. The people who put their trust in Jesus Christ, we are part of God's family. We are that good seed. And as part of our destiny, as good seed planting in good soil is to grow, mature, and multiply. That is why we exist as a church. This is what we're designed to do, to help good seed grow, mature, and multiply. But there's an enemy sowing weeds among the wheat, and that enemy is the devil. So I know. The world, when we start talking about the idea of the devil, the world starts thinking that we're kooks, right? Uh, but I want you to think about this. Evil is not a force. Gravity is a force. Magnetism is a force. Evil is not a force because evil has intent, and purpose, and its purpose is to destroy. The only things in existence that move forward with intent and purpose are living things. Evil is living, and his name is the devil. That's the best way for me to frame it. And that living evil, the devil, is opposed to God and who he is and opposed to God's work. That enemy is opposed to the kingdom and seeks to keep the kingdom from advancing. The weeds are the people who belong to the devil. Again, not a popular idea that some people might belong to the devil. But what Jesus is communicating is that any person who is opposing God, either by denying his existence, denying his authority, um, denying the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection, right, denies they are doing the same work as the devil. And that's why Jesus calls them sons of the devil, because you guys are doing the same work denying God, pushing against the work that God is doing. But there are a lot of them that don't know it. And that's where we come in. That's why we exist in the tension that we do today. They don't realize, there are a lot of people in the world who are sons of the devil and don't realize that is the case. They don't understand the life 
life-changing consequences of the decisions they are making today. So God is, in his grace, holding off on his judgment, holding off on wrath, holding off on the day of reaping, so that the weed and wheat together have every opportunity to be fed and watered. The opportunity to grow by God's grace, right, side by side, with the understanding that soon the reapers are going to come. This pause in the action is not going to be an eternal one. God is going to return. And if you're wheat, that gives us a sense of urgency and hope. And if you are not, there's a clock. Make your decision quickly and wisely and soon, right? So, it was August of 2008. It was a month before we launched Awaken Church. So our church, if you're new here, is only, only is 11 years old. So we're not quite teenagers, but we're close. We're adolescents. We're going through puberty. So it was August of 2008. It was a month before we uh, launched Awaken Church. And I was having my time with God on the hood of my old green beat-up Ford Explorer. I remember that, but I don't remember why I chose to have my time with God on the hood of my truck, but that's what I was doing, and I was reading the Bible, and I was going through the scriptures, I was praying about the church plant, I was praying about what God is doing, and that's when he shared with me this passage in Matthew 13, that's when he shared with me this parable, and what I believe God was telling me in that day as we were praying is that... Um, that passion I believe God was putting in me was to be a part of helping launch a church where anyone and everyone can come and grow together. Christian, non-Christian, married, single, divorced, whatever status might be, sexual orientation, whichever way you decide to go. Um, doesn't matter how you look. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. That as a church, we are going to welcome with open arms if, you're, if your desire is to sincerely know Jesus more, then we wanted to welcome you with open arms. And that was our starting point for what Awaken is going to look like. The idea of wheat and tear growing along side by side. And the idea of what God shared with me is, Frank, it's not your job. I'm not making it your job to sift and sort out which one is which and who is who. I want you to feed them. I want you to care for them. I want you to love them. I want you to nourish them the same. That is your responsibility. And that became the foundation of how we integrate and how we even put together our service, why we don't define members specifically, that anyone who is a regular part of our church can define, can call themselves a member of Awaken, right? That if your heart is to learn about God with us, learn the truth about God with us, to worship with us, to experience the love of God with us, then we welcome you with open arms. Now, I do want to say that if anyone comes through these doors and comes to be a part of this church with deliberate intent to cause harm or to harm the people of God, then you are not wheat or tear, you're a wolf. And we take wolves out back and we put them down, right? That's the responsibility of a shepherd. That's what the shepherd, that's what God says. Shepherds of the flock, you guard the sheep from wolves. So yes, if you are coming in with malicious or harmful intent, you're not wheat, you're not weed, you're wolf. And yes, we will exercise discipline. That being said, if your heart is earnest and you want to come and learn and grow, this is a place where we want to encourage that freely. 
And that's not simply a promise. I hope I'd like to say that it's a reflection of who we've been for the past 11 years. So it's not a promise of what we hope to be someday. We believe it's a representation of who we already are by God's grace. So if you're here, and uh, I know that we're getting the fall started, and I know that uh, some of you are new students visiting with us, and, uh, and a lot of you are just, they, you've been part of this church for a while. I want to be reminded as we move forward over the course of this coming year, as we've got different opportunities on the horizon, whether it's on campus in ministry with Saturate uh, that we have in two weeks, with the different initiatives that we're going to be having over the course of the fall, having a regional conference here, having a number of different things that we're going to be doing with CMARC and on and on and on. As we progress right through the stuff of the church, it can be so easy and tempting to just say, well, we've already got busy lives. I don't want to add busy church on top of it. And I'm just going to fire back at you and say, part of this is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. What it means to be a part of this family is that we have responsibility to one another, right? We raised our kids in a way that we taught them that doing chores is just part of what it means to be a part of the family, okay? It's not above and beyond. We're not torturing you with it. It's just part of the responsibility that you guys take to be a part of the family. In the same way, we have those as a church as well. We want to encourage and challenge you, right? As we look forward to realize and remember to not forget this is who we are. This is who we strive to be. And to have that type of vision side by side where we and tear alike are learning and growing in faith, that means that we do our part as well. This is not Frank's church, it's not Andrew's, it's not Richard's. We labor together, we are parts of the body, and together we will serve him. He is our king. Amen? So, that's the vision that God gave me a month before we launched Awaken. That's what I share with our church two weeks, or a week after we launched Awaken, and by God's grace, this is who we're going to be, not only these past 11 years, but even moving forward. I hope you all are able to hear my heart today. Uh, I know it's a bit messy, and I do apologize for that. might have been able to be a bit cleaner, but my goal was not only to teach you and to share with you the parable of the wheat and tares. Jesus already does a great job interpreting what that means. I also wanted you to see how and understand how that story affects our church and is a part of defining who we are today. And I don't want you to miss this short little utterance that was in the middle of the story as well. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Let them both grow together until the harvest. That in this space between planted and his return, we are called to be faithful. And we will do our part by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, for this time and opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, as your people, and say thank you, Lord, for being our king, our master, our Lord. And we submit to you, Lord. I know it's so tough, that idea of submission for both guys and girls, to submit our will to surrender what we want in favor of the king who has given his life for us. And yet that is what we are called to. And I pray that we would live it out cheerfully, joyfully, um, moment by moment, being in humble submission to you, O oh God. And uh, I thank you for the privilege and joy of being able to do that alongside the best women and men that I know. Um, Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to serve you, to be a part of your family. And we pray that we would fulfill the responsibility in this window of time between birth and your return, God, that we would be faithful to 
being the women and men that you called us to be, to do the work responsibly that you set before us, and to be examples, to be light and salt to a world that is dark and tasteless, Lord. We love you. We praise you and thank you. We pray for your strength, your spirit to lead us, strengthen us always. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Gabby, and I'm on staff with Awaken. God has really put a passion on my heart to work with college girls, and I'm so excited to see how he works in their lives and throughout the rest of campus this year. Hi, I'm Lucas. I'm a junior studying psychology. Awaken is great because it's allowed me to grow closer with Christ, and it's done that by surrounding me with people who are running that same race. This semester, we're playing a lot of volleyball, and uh, 